So growth is the magic word for startups, but how do you harness its power? Our guest today is an expert in all things growth. He's going to share some first-hand wisdom and a lot of really cool tips. His name is Eric Fulweiler, and he's the founder and CEO of Rival. They're a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses think and act like challengers. He himself, he is an absolute bona fide expert in growth, and he's been doing it for 15 years. Not only that, he's one of the first 15 employees at VaynerMedia, and he was the MD for Europe. Yeah, and that's VaynerMedia. That's Gary Vee's business. Pretty amazing stuff. So today he's sharing some of those secrets. It's a really great episode with some real nuggets and some really actionable content. I really hope you guys enjoy the show. You work a lot of startups. Tell me fundamentally, like from your perspective, why is it that marketing and brand building is just is so important and why are you so passionate about it for startups? So I thought you were going to ask me why more startups don't do it well. We're going to come to for, that. For some reason, I guess based on we'll what we're going to that. We're going to come on to that. We're going to start okay, with why it's important and then why people aren't doing a good job. <laughs> I mean, how could it not be important? I don't know. It's interesting for me, you know, obviously as a marketer, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail or you see the world full of nails. It's like, of course, brand and marketing is important, right? The way that you grow a business sustainably in the long term is you have a great product and you have a great brand. You can do one of those things and grow a business for a little bit of time. But if you want to have true long-term sustainable growth, it all comes back to innovation of the product and of the brand. Another way of saying it more practically is, um, you know, you grow a business through changing perception and behavior in the consumer market. The way you do that is through telling a story. A brand is what changes people's perception about what they should do or what they shouldn't do. Another way of saying it is it's everything that's wrapped around the functional benefit that you deliver as a product. It's the emotional side of things. We as human beings don't just function functionally. We don't make decisions logically. You know, I saw your Daniel Kahneman in the, uh, in the table right next to us, right? It's like it's been proven. And we all know at this point that we're not creatures of solely rational, logical thought. And so the way that we interact with the world, we look at, you know, what I'm wearing, what you're wearing, these brands that we choose to associate ourselves with, so much of who we are, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, is dictated by brands and how we interact with them and how we perceive them. So it's fundamental is the short answer. I think if you want to build a meaningful long-term business, you need to be thinking about brand as much and marketing as much as you're thinking about product or commercials for that matter. Do you think that the reason that people don't do that is because it's so intangible, the brand piece? Because, you know, when you start... When well, you start, I didn't oh. say intangible. I said emotional. I'm, I think I'm you can. I know, but I think, I, think that's, right. I think it's a really good point. I think yeah. that we should touch on that for a second because you can quantify, you can measure the impact of brand. You can't always measure all of it all the time if you're doing it well, meaning... Not everything about how you do brand and how you do marketing is short-term ROI. You can't say that because you put your logo on your sweater, you're going to generate more revenue for your business over the next 90 days. But you can measure, or I'm assuming you can measure at this point, the value of having a stronger brand. You know, you mentioned before we clicked record some of the changes you did to the color palette of the brand of your business and the impact that that actually had on the web traffic. You can measure it. It is tangible. Not all of it all the time. But you certainly can, and there's plenty of studies up there, out there, and and you know big businesses at this point that actually quantify the value of brand and more technology and more businesses that are doing this on a on a regular basis. 
Um, and so I think, you know, why more companies don't do it is you do what you know, right? I come from a marketing background. I'm a marketer. And so that's why my answer to the question of why is brand important is like, well, why would it not be important? That's what I know. But a lot of startups don't have marketers in their founding team. They don't have marketing DNA in that core of the organization. So it doesn't come as naturally to them. You know, they focus on the product, they focus on the technology. And, and like I was saying, it's both. It's marketing and product. It's brand and the value proposition of what you bring to the market. But I think you need to recognize as a founding team or as an early stage entrepreneur, even if it's just you, everybody has certain strengths and weaknesses. And it tends to be, especially if it's a technology startup, that a lot of these teams don't have brand or marketing in that team. And I think they need to find a way to balance it out. Okay. So we can accept the most founders when they talk to businesses or investors or whatever, they talk predominantly about their product because that's where they're comfortable because they know their product is something that's different, but they don't realize that actually the secret to success is doing a great uh, marketing campaign. So they don't hire people at the very beginning. So if you are going to go out there and hire someone, you're not a technical founder. The first question to me is, okay, should I hire someone from day one? Is that, or when should I be hiring one? That's the first question. But second of all, who do I hire? Like, how do I, what skills am I looking for in a marketer at day one? Am I looking for, you know, uh, an ex-deliveroo or ex, you know, huge CMO with loads of, loads of expense? Or do I look for somebody who's really scrappy, who's just come out of uni or whatever, and, and just can do lots of different things on TikTok? Like, what, what do I do? Who am I looking for? And also, when do I hire them? So... I think to the first part of your question of why don't more people focus on this or why don't more people think about this? I mean, if you oversimplify things to this dichotomy of either you can be product centric or you can be customer centric, there's a natural draw for us as humans and certainly for you know the stereotypical engineering technology types to be much more focused on us. What we think is exciting, what we're working on, our product, our business, we focus on us, right? What marketing does is it brings the customer to the product. You know, when somebody says marketing or people listening, when they think about marketing, they think of advertising, basically. They think of, okay, what's that campaign? What does that brand look like? Fundamentally, the role of marketing is to bridge the value of the product to a need that's in the market. That's really what it does. So actually, you know, I'm sort of rival six months ago, but before that I was in the fintech world for about two and a half years. And one of the co-founders in the last business I was at was co-founded Monzo. And so he talked about, um, you know, branding and marketing at Monzo in the early days. They didn't have a marketer per se. And actually there was this whole conversation in the fintech world back then of we don't do marketing. And I'm using air quotes for the people listening, not watching, because like, I would say to that, like, you do do marketing. You don't do advertising. You know, now you see the Monzo ads and the Revolut ads and TransferWise and all that on the buses and tubes and all and everything. You see it everywhere. You see all the advertising. But marketing is just connecting the product to the customer. And so Monzo in the early days, just because of how customer-centric they were, just because so much of that team was looking at, listening, asking questions, trying to get feedback from the community. They did events to get people together to say, hey, what are you looking for? in a challenger bank. They created, I think it's community.monzo.com, which you should definitely go check out. It's like a Reddit, sty Reddit style forum where people can make suggestions for what they want the product to be. They brought the customer into the product development process. So if there's one, actually, you know, I'm sure, hopefully there's a couple takeaways for people in this conversation, but a big one for me is don't think about marketing as advertising. Think about it as bringing the customer into the business. And so I think that's why 
that's probably why a lot of people don't think about this is because they think of marketing as advertising. Oh, I don't know that. I'm not at a stage yet to be doing advertising. But actually, it's so much more fundamental than that. And you see that in a lot of the businesses and the brands that are successful like Amonzo. In terms of going to hire somebody, you know, it depends is, of course, the answer because it depends on the stage of the business. It depends on the founding team. It depends on who you are, funding, all that stuff. But I think what I would say to try to tee it up in a way that's helpful for people is whether or not you have a head of marketing or a CMO or a VP, somebody needs to be responsible for being the voice of the customer internally. And that is, you know, if you're doing it right, the role of marketing, but it could be you as the CEO, it could be the head of product, it could be your producer, it could be anybody. That's the role that you need to make sure is getting done as a baseline. Then you graduate from there and you start to look at, okay, how do we actually want to build our marketing function? Are we going to be, you know, if you think of the three types of, um, three channels of marketing, there's own marketing, there's paid marketing, and there's earned marketing, right? Owned are the channels that you own and operate, your website, your social media, et cetera. Paid is paid advertising and earned is PR and influence, other people's attention or other people that have already built the attention of the audience you're trying to reach. Which one of those you're going to lean into? So I think you as a, as a founding team or as a founder or as an entrepreneur need to think about where your strengths and weaknesses lie as a business, as an executive team, and figure out what type of marketer you need to complement that. And then so much of it, so much of everything comes down to the reality around you, not the theory of how you draw things up on paper. So do you come across a great person that maybe isn't exactly what you had in the job description, but you're going to find a way to get them on board? Um, so it's, um, you know, there's that Mike Tyson quote I think about all the time. Everybody's a plan until they get punched in the face. Love so part of it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> part of, part of it is reacting to what's out there. And I think that's certainly true with talent, not just marketing talent, but all talent, you know, being at VaynerMedia in the early days when we were hiring a person a day, I think I calculated the other, the other day in 15, my 15 year career, I think I've hired like 500 people. And so much of it is what walks in the door and what doesn't walk in the door. And do you recognize good talent? Just get it on board and figure everything else out afterwards. Yep. Yeah, nice. I like that a lot. Um, I want to drill into two things you said there. How do you know what is good marketing talent and what isn't? So I think culture fit matters most. So making sure that you are very clear on the culture of your organization and how you're testing for that in an interview. Um, and then the other thing more practically is I think every... I think nobody should hire somebody without having them do some type of assignment, some type of task. Because actually Google did some research a while back that looked at the efficacy of unstructured informal interviews in predicting the success of someone in a job role. And it was like 17% or something ridiculously low. Meaning if you sit down and just have a conversation, hey, tell me about yourself, explain to me that how would you handle this type of situation, like the basic stuff, it's very, very low. Because that's not what it's like to work with somebody. It's not just sitting and having an informal conversation. It's actually tackling a project together, you know, working on something together. And so what we do for Rival and what I did at 11FS and what I eventually figured out what we did at VaynerMedia, you always give somebody an assignment to do. You don't have them work on it for too long. And actually at Rival, we pay people for that time because I think that's just the right thing to do. Um, but I think that's practically the thing that I would do is figure it out either Either you, if you know what type of projects this head of marketing is going to need to work on or this marketing manager, whatever the level is, or talk to somebody who would know and say, hey, yeah, have them do this 
give them this type of brief and see what they come back with and you're looking for X, Y, and Z. So make it practical, make it tangible, do something with them, do some type of project with them to see what it's like to actually work together. Fantastic. That's really good advice. I like that a lot. And I can definitely attest to that. Going back to my second question, you talk about like having that conversation with the customer, bringing that voice of the customer into the business. How do I practically do that? Particularly when I don't have any. So you either have customers or you have potential customers. Otherwise, you don't have You've got nothing. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Correct. Yep. So there are people out there who either have bought or could potentially buy yep. what you're selling. And you got to go talk to them. Like, that's it. You know, like the most important things in life, not just in marketing or business, tend to be very simple in theory, but hard to do in reality. Or, you know, it just takes time. It just takes kind of blood, sweat, and tears. There are shortcuts. There are, you know, consumer research platforms and technologies that you can use to run focus groups online and like all of that stuff. Honestly, if you're an early stage entrepreneur, just make a list of the people that you know who are potential customers or make a list of the people you know who know potential customers and just get started getting started going and having conversations with them. Take notes after you do, see how things piece together. And it's going to start to give you more of a sense. It's, you know, you mentioned Eric Reese before we started recording. I think it was before we started recording as well. Lean startup. It's the same thing. You know, it's such a benefit for me being in the fintech world for a few years after having been in services companies for so long and advertising agencies, et cetera. Just the idea that in ad agencies, we didn't think about iterating our product offering with the market now just seems crazy to me. So at Rival, I spent six months just having conversations with senior marketers. I'm thinking about doing this. How do you get that need solved internally? Oh, that's interesting. What do you think about that? What if I did this type of thing? A lot of conversations, like at least for me, and maybe this is coming from the Gary Vaynerchuk school of thought, like there's no shortcut. You have to just scale the unscalable. And sometimes you just got to put the hours in to be able to do that. So I would start there. Now, as you start a business or scale a business, then yes, you can run focus groups. You can do online surveys. You can run, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing at Rival is actually using what we call micro media. So small amounts of paid media, small amounts of content, usually on social media platforms to actually test an offering or a story or a pitch. It's kind of like A-B optimization on a website. So there's more complicated ways to do it. But if most of the people listening are early stage entrepreneurs or soon to be early stage entrepreneurs, just start having questions with your network. I couldn't agree with that more. I say to... I think if there is one message there, if you are going to over-index on anything when you start your business or even throughout your business, you're going to over-index anywhere, it's talking to your fucking customers. 100%. It's never going to lead you wrong. It's just not because they're the ones who are buying from you. And look, you have to, you know, um, The Mum Test is one of the best books you yeah. can ever read for that as well. You know, because I, we had a, an incident recently where we ran a, a campaign and um, I was talking to all the customers. I am very energetic. I'm I'm a sales guy, so I'm compelling. And I'm like, isn't this going to be fucking amazing? They're like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Oh my God. And then you don't get any commitment from them. You're like, what's going on? Why don't they like it? <laughs> you know, because there is a way to talk, talk to customers. Yeah. Don't go in there and bully them and say, look, this is what you want, isn't it? This is what you want. You know, have a genuine open conversation with them um, and try to learn from that discussion rather than trying to just get validation yeah. for your idea. Um, and I think it's, uh, but yeah, if you're going to over-index anywhere, as you said, I'm glad you said that. Over-index. I think another way of thinking of it is all growth comes from unlocking new or differentiated value in a market. 
it's solving a need that people have in a way that somebody else hasn't done yet. And usually that's delivering a product that's better in a faster way, or maybe it's cheaper, but it all comes down to understanding the customer. You can't unlock that value and therefore you can't grow a business without understanding what their needs are. Another book that I'd throw out is, um, that's one of my favorites. It's actually not a marketing book. I think it's more of a product book or general innovation, but it's uh, Competing Against Luck. Clayton Christensen, have you read that one? No, but I will. Oh, definitely got to check it out. It's the one that I always recommend. Um, so Clayton Christensen and a few other people, um, I think it was just before this book, but it kind of comes together in this book, come up with the concept of jobs to be done. Have you heard of that? So it's basically, um, I'm sure you've heard of the saying of people don't buy a quarter inch drill or they don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole in the wall. So it's like, you don't buy a product, you buy the solution that the product brings you. And so essentially it all comes down in the methodology that's kind of around this idea of jobs to be done in consumers' lives. It all comes down to understanding the customer. There are, you know, history is littered with businesses that have failed because they were not customer centric enough. Probably almost every single one. Trying to think of an example that wouldn't be. And I don't think there's a single example of a business that hasn't that has been too customer centric that has failed because they're too focused on the customer. So it really all comes down to that. And that's kind of why, you know, when I talk about marketing or when I get brought on to kind of be the marketing guy, I'm like, yeah, I can talk about marketing, but usually most people are thinking about advertising. Marketing is about being more customer centric as a business. And that's where all growth comes from. I love that. I really love that. And I will read that book. We'll put the, uh, in the show notes. In the current climate, marketing is hard, but do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favorite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Moving on slightly. So you um, you come from the Church of Gary Vee. Um, um, and I'm, um, I'm an absolute worshipper. Um, the uh, the content pyramid for anyone who hasn't doesn't live their life by the content pyramid change it it's I think it's sensational but he talks a lot about personal brand and obviously he's a king of it so in your experience of um, working with startups particularly tell me about whether your opinion about building personal brand as a founder or with the team and whether people do it too much or they do it badly just tell me about your opinions around that. Well, there's definitely some people that do it too much. There's definitely some people that do it badly, but I think there's many, many, many more, probably most of the people listening that don't do it enough or just haven't kind of gotten over that hump, haven't gotten that nudge to be like, okay, I just got to get started getting started with this. The way I think of it is it's an investment. Every hour that you spend, you know, coming on a podcast or putting out a post on LinkedIn or speaking at an event or just building your network. It's an investment in whatever you want to do in the future. It's like cash for your career because you can spend the value that you've created in your personal brand in whatever way you want to. It could be this business. It could be the next business. It could be, you want to be a musician. You want to be an artist. You want to start minting NFTs. You get to own that. And so that's something that I I think took me too long, even working for Gary for seven years in total. It took me actually, I, I wasn't working for him anymore. I I was in New York for my last business and I had a meeting with him and he's like, you need to start posting more on LinkedIn. Once a day, start posting on LinkedIn. I was like, okay, you know what? This is the nudge that I need. And I started doing it and it was probably four years ago. And like, look, it's not like I'm a, 
you know, influencer on LinkedIn or anything like that, but it's definitely brought me value and it's helped get Rival off the ground because I had a bigger, bigger network. I had a little bit more awareness. And so I think, you know, whatever it is you, you need, I think so much comes down to self-awareness in life as well as in business, right? Like knowing who you are, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at. And so how that translates to personal brand is for me, I like having conversations with interesting people. I like writing. Um, I'm not as much kind of like the video, big stage, big audience type of guy. And so my focus is I love doing things like this, just having a chat. And there happens to be a microphone here. And I love writing, you know, the conversations that I have during the week, I jot down kind of little nuggets of what I find interesting. And then eventually I sit down and type them up into LinkedIn posts and I put them out that way. That's stuff I would do anyway, because it's interesting for me to learn that stuff. And I learn it by kind of like documenting the process of the conversations that I'm having week to week. So a lot of that comes from the content pyramid. And another thing that Gary used to say is document, don't create. And so that's kind of how I do it is like, I'll probably take a thought from this conversation, jot it down in my notes. And then at some point you'll see it turn up as a LinkedIn post. So I guess I'm saying a couple different things. Know what you like and what you don't like and lean into that in terms of how you want to build a personal brand. Not everybody needs a YouTube show. Not everybody needs a podcast. There are plenty of ways to get your story and your thoughts out there. Document what you do week to week because there's probably an audience that's going to find it interesting. And the most important thing just get started getting started. Start putting out a little bit. It takes time, but every hour that you put in is an investment that you're going to be able to withdraw for whatever you want to in the future down the line. I love that. What is an example of a really great campaign that you've seen recently? Or it doesn't have to be a specific, so we don't have to name and shame. One where you think, it, what is a typical mistake that people make with campaigns? And you see it kind of quite often. So it's interesting. So the role of marketing is to drive growth of a brand and business, right? Yeah. So actually from the outside, if you say good, or what was the word, what was the word you used? Disruptive? Yeah. Okay. Disruptive. Fine. I think I heard what I wanted to hear. Disruptive, I can definitely comment on, but my point I think still stands and, and I think will be valuable for people listening. Marketing is a means to an end, right? So much, you know, I spent 10 years in the advertising agency world. And one of the things that I very strongly disliked about it is everybody got so excited about the ads, you know, like, oh, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that so cool? Like, let's go submit this for an award. So much of that stuff. To me, I'm much more interested in the business. What's the impact that it actually had on the business? And so you can't know that from the outside. So there's so many people that pontificate about like what good marketing is and what good advertising is. I'm like, it doesn't matter if you don't know whether or not it had an impact on the business. Disruptive, you can speak to because that's kind of more subjective and you can have an opinion about that from the outside. An example of that, actually, just real quick, fast.com or fast.co, who were, um, it's, it's a great story of that. They um, they were invested by um, uh, Stripe. They raised $125 million, uh, in three years. They went from nothing to being worth a billion. Um, Dom, the, the Tom the Holly runs it. Um, we DM a little bit. He's a really great guy. I really like him. They spent $125 million over the course of three years, $125 million. They were burning $10 million a month. They made 600 grand in revenue. Now, everyone's like, these guys are fucking amazing. The brand's incredible. They're growing. They're so massive. They're putting their name on race cars. They've got chain smokers coming to their events. Amazing campaigns. They did this thing where like, they were showing how you know, how fast one click payment was, and what they do is they say they pick a picture of um, someone, um, a video of someone wearing regular clothes, 
and then they would uh, touch something and then or something would be thrown at them and then they'd be wearing fast clothes it's a really cool little yeah. stint it's just great that's how fast everything is and um but made no money but just made no, didn't make any money so like you know that's just an example there of like an amazing campaign to look on the outside and you're like this yeah. is incredible I really enjoy this. It yeah. didn't work out. It's a dating brand um, that I think everyone will know, but I know the guy, so I don't want to name them. And they do all these amazing PR stunts and everyone's like, they get tens of thousands of likes on on LinkedIn. Yeah. They're making nothing. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like amazing from the outside, but then ultimately you're right. Like it's a means to end. If you're not winning customers, then what's the yeah. point in it? Well, it's interesting because I think whether you're a big company or you've raised big money from VCs, Sometimes with bigger budgets, you get a little bit less efficient with how you spend it. And I'm being kind there. Another way of saying that is I think you can end up wasting a lot of money. Yeah. Particularly in like these big sponsorship deals or PR or certain types of advertising where, you know, you can quantify anything. You can find data about anything, but sometimes it's what you want to hear as opposed to is it actually having the result that it should. We're doing some research that we're releasing this week. Hopefully this is the last week of April. So hopefully we're going to be putting it out this week, um, working with Imperial College on what what is it about successful challenger brands? What are they doing differently with their marketing? And so one of the one of the trends that we're looking at, we call it the pufferfish challenger, which basically just means these tiny brands are able to puff themselves up to be so much bigger than their business actually is because of how smart they are with how they spend their media. So constraints drive creativity, which I think is really interesting, right? It's the whole thing of like why Twitter was 140 characters and people thought that was cool because you had to get your thought down in a certain kind of way. And so actually the budget constraints of startups makes them spend their media dollars in more efficient and then eventually more effective ways, which I think is really interesting. Um, If you have not checked out Duolingo on TikTok, set aside an afternoon. And go have a good time with that. It is unbelievable. So Duolingo, the language app. 141 days straight, mate. I'm in. Have you, have you seen it? I'm, I'm, on, I'm on 141 days straight on Duolingo. On Duolingo, but yeah, have yeah. you seen them on TikTok? No, I haven't. Okay, enjoy. Uh, it's really good. It just goes to show people will people don't like advertising. They like good content. To me, Duolingo on TikTok is the best TikTok account that I follow. It just happens to be a brand. And I guess you could call it advertising because it's coming from a brand. But when you see it, it does not check the box of what you are going to think traditional advertising should be. So that's one, 100% disruptive. I have no idea how they actually get away with it. Um, Coinbase. So in the US, for the most recent Super Bowl, Coinbase did an ad that was just a minute. And keep in mind, a minute Super Bowl ad is like $10 million or something. Just a QR code bouncing across the screen. Does it for a minute. Talk about disruptive, like it melted the advertising industry because people are like, what are, what are they doing? You know, Super Bowl ads have celebrities and they're these like glamorous stories and like big stunts. It was just QR code. F1, drive to survive. Very good. Yeah. I mean, one of my big philosophies is I think modern marketing is about thinking and acting more like a media company than a marketer because- in a world where there are so many brands pumping out so much content, competing for limited attention, the brands that win are the ones that put out content or experiences, events, that add value to the audience they're trying to reach. What type of business focuses on adding value to an audience? It's a media business. 
their business is attention. They have to put out content that people want to spend time with. Otherwise, they go out of business. And so another way of saying that is like it's marketing that's much more customer centric. And so F1, Drive to Survive, it was brilliant. They'd had such a hard time cracking the US market. And I don't know what the numbers are, but to what we were discussing of good marketing actually has an impact to grow the business. I know for sure they have grown viewership, which is their core business in the US because of what they've done with Netflix. The other example I uh, threw out there, Michelin, Michelin Tires created the Michelin Fine Dining Guide to find ways for more people to drive. They added value through creating content like as a media company, as a publisher. And I have no idea whether it's still part of the same company, but you know, this is not a new thing. This has been around for a hundred years. If you add value to the audience you're trying to reach through content, AKA marketing, or through your, and or through your product, like your business will grow. It's pretty basic, but to everything we were saying, simple in theory, hard in execution. I love that. I love it. You're blowing my mind and I, I love it. Okay, so we've got, we've got a, uh, so we have a thing on the show where we talk about the startup sin bin. What is something that you want expelled from the startup world? I don't know if it's expelled, but I think people need to be more honest and transparent with what it's like to be an entrepreneur, particularly an early stage entrepreneur. This shit is fucking hard. It's stressful. It's complicated. You feel like you're doing a million things wrong. You are doing a million things wrong. You make so many mistakes. There's so many things that you want to do all over again. Every once in a while, something good happens. You get to launch something. Somebody says something nice. Somebody joins your team. And yet, if you look at everybody's Instagram, if you look at everybody's LinkedIn, it all seems like it's you know rainbows and sunshine and everything's going amazing. And I get it. Like That's human nature. And it's also brand. You know, you're putting yourself out there. You're putting out the best version of yourself. But I think that there are so many people who are struggling and they're struggling in part because when they look out in the world, when they look out in this little community of entrepreneurs or LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever it is, they only see people that are succeeding and they're like, shit, what's wrong with me? And so I think we need to be much more honest. And I'm trying at the same time, you know, I do put out the good news as well. Of course I do. But I'm trying to balance that with just a little bit more honesty and a little bit more transparency and a little bit more realism about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. And I'm hoping that in doing that, and if we can get other people to do that with us, that it will help some people out there. Because I think there's so many people that burn out. You know, you don't have to have like a mental breakdown. It can just be like your week's a lot harder because you think you're doing it wrong. And so I think there needs to be a more balanced story about just like how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. That's one of the things I'd like to change. I love that. But that's the thing. I mean, like, yeah. you know, we just met and are just getting to know each other, but I think we have a similar share, a similar, I don't know, sentiment or philosophy. It's like, or curse maybe. It's about the climb rather than it is the peak. You know, it's about the progress, not the destination. So it's like, and, that, and that's a tough thing, I think, to sometimes live with for myself and also my wife, I'm sure. But it's like, cool, you got there. Now what's the next thing? Yeah. yeah. You know? As soon as you but, get on top of a mountain, you, all you do is think about where's the next biggest one around. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and I think that that can be really, it can be a blessing and a curse. And I feel like I'm wired this way. I kind of get the sense that you're wired this way too. You got to leverage the benefits of that and try to minimize the downsides of that. Because that can be really frustrating if, you know, you, that basically means that you're always climbing, that there's no kind of benefit. And one of the things that I've definitely not done a good job of for myself or for my teams as I built them is kind of celebrating the successes. Because I'm like, okay, what's on, what's on to the next thing? One other thing that I'll throw out there in terms of what I think needs to get changed in the entrepreneurial community or in conversations around this, and this is something I actually fundamentally disagree with Gary on, and I think what he says about it 
does not help a lot of people. He said, and I don't know if he still says it, but he had this thing of like, you're either an entrepreneur or you're not. You either are so suffocated by working for somebody else that you can't stand it and you have to have your own company or you have to do your own thing, or you're someone who can have a job and that's fine, but you're not an entrepreneur. I totally disagree with that because I think it's a spectrum. I think you can be entrepreneurial all the way to Gary, who like literally could not work for anybody ever, to someone who never wants to be an entrepreneur. And that's totally fine, but you can be a spectrum in between. I think of myself, if I play out my career a hundred times, I don't know, probably less than 50 of them, 35, 41 of those end up with me starting my own company. Plenty of them don't. I don't think that I would be like a corporate guy for 50 years. But I would work in the Vayner Medias of this world. I would work in the 11FSs of this world and probably be, probably be pretty happy. And it was kind of this um, convergence of circumstance and luck and timing and all these things that led to me starting my own company. But you don't, you don't, it's okay if you don't feel like you are, yes, I absolutely need to. You can try being an entrepreneur. And there's risk in it, of course. So make sure that you know what you're risking. But like, you can go do it and then you can go get another job. And maybe you can come back to it at some point. So I think this idea of like, you have to be an entrepreneur or you're not an entrepreneur, I don't think it's binary. I agree with you entirely. And you can be an entrepreneur in a business. For example, our producer of the show, Rosie, she, she runs a business yeah. within our business. Yeah, totally. You know, that she did, that's that great. For a lot of people, that's yeah. probably better. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you know? you're, you're, you're less worried about whether you're going to get your paycheck or have to pay for someone else. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But yeah. you still get that buzz of building something from scratch. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think there's something in that. We had a few people come on the show and I think we should turn it into a segment on here who share their startup hacks, okay? And I love my startup hack for everyone is, um, is GMAS and automated emailing. Yeah, okay. So, so what, like sending, how does that work for you? So GMAS is a native app that sits within Gmail and it allows you to send um, a mass email to people. I okay. raised, I raised, this is my, I talk about this all the time. I raised half a million pounds for my business using email marketing. Okay. Didn't know any of these people at all. Never met any of them before. Just wrote a marketing campaign on email. Mm. Got someone else to do the research and find the investors for me. Um, and then I got that, that list. I wrote an email, um, did an A-B test on it, and then set up the follow-ups within GMAS, sent it out. It took me four hours of work to raise half a million pounds. Wow. In terms of the, the print. Obviously, I had to do the pitching as well. And some of those pitches were horrific. But, some of the, but the point is I got there. And I would, ne- and I would never have been able to contact 3,000 investors any other way, you know, and that, that was just a hack, you know, now I teach it, I've written an article about it. Um, there's a chapter in my book about it. Like I just, it's such a, I think that is a, people don't understand the value of automated email marketing and people are like, oh, that sounds a bit spammy. No, it doesn't. Write a good email then. Yeah. 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 Think more about the copy. Yeah. Make it more relevant. What startup hack do you have? Would you share? Everything ultimately comes down to what you can do but also who you know. And I think the second part of it is vastly undervalued. It doesn't get talked about. Like you go to school or you get a job. Everybody's so focused on how do I learn to do that thing? How do I do that thing well? How do I add this thing to my CV? How do I get this degree learning that thing, the topic? So much of life, certainly business and certainly a startup, comes down to who you know. And I think that needs a lot more attention, a lot more time, a lot more diligence, a lot more discipline. Uh, for anybody. And so one hack is investing in a personal CRM if you don't have that already. 
So again, I wish I had started this way earlier, but it's probably, it was when I moved to London. So it was probably six or seven years ago. Um, I started a spreadsheet of all the people that I meet. And so now I've got, you know, there's like 2,200 people or something in there. And like some of them I'll never, you know, cross paths with again, but like I've got it all in there. And every once in a while, like this flight um, back to New York last week, I'll just go through the whole thing and be like, oh, I haven't talked to that guy in a while. I haven't talked to that girl in a while. Let me drop them a note and just see what's up. So valuable to actually keep track of that. For some people, it can be LinkedIn, but I'm sure if you're like me, like there's so much people connect with you on LinkedIn and it's like not actually clean data. So invest in a personal CRM. Maybe there's tools out there. Last time I looked, there wasn't anything that looked good. Just use a spreadsheet. The other thing is um, I think time management is one of the biggest factors for professional success. And I, I wouldn't say undervalued because I think so many books get written about it so much, so much of it gets talked about. I don't think you need anything complicated. What I would recommend and what I do for myself is I block two hours every day when I don't have meetings and when I work on the most important things, not the most urgent things. And so for me, that's in the morning because that's when I'm most productive. But find the time. Make sure that you're blocking the time during the week and like literally do it because if you're anything like me, you do what your calendar tells you to. So if somebody drops a meeting in your calendar or if you put a meeting in your you're going to go do what that thing is. The urgent always takes precedent over the important unless you prioritize the important. So putting time in, I call it downtime. Put in downtime in your calendar every week, ideally every day, when you work on the most important things, not the most urgent things. Mate, I've, you blow, my first one has blown my fucking mind, the personal CRM. I fucking love that. You must have something like that at this I point, right? I love that. I fucking love that. I literally have this, I mean, I, I've got a pretty good memory, so I'm just like, I just go into my personal Rolodex decks in my head and I sit down and I think to myself, put myself in a mind palace and I think, yeah. Who can help me solve that problem? And I would, I would literally, I would literally sit down and close my eyes and just try to remember everyone that I know to just go through a list. Because you're like, but you probably remember two percent of them. I know. I fucking. And, no and way, here's yeah. the thing: it's like you know, and this is what I find so exciting about life, about career, about networking, about building a business is you never know. Yeah. You know, I think of the job. I've I've never actually gotten a job from like applying for one. I've applied for jobs, but that's I've gotten them because I know people. Yeah. Right. And. I think of the jobs that I've gotten or the contracts that I've won. And like, sometimes it's like that random person you just like randomly took a call with or met for a coffee or came on a podcast for. And like two years down the line, they're like, oh, by the way, you should go talk to this person. And all of a sudden you've got a new job. Yeah. It's like, you never know. You, you just don't know. Great. This has been amazing. Thanks so much for coming really on. fun. 